This episode is sponsored by Linode. Linode is offering listeners of this podcast a $20 credit, which is good for four free months at their lowest plan. Their plans start at one gigabyte of RAM for $5 a month. You can get your servers in any of their 10 data centers, and their high memory plans start at 16 gigabytes. Get a server running in under a minute. They do hourly billing with a monthly cap on all plans and add-on services like backups, node balancers, long view, etc. VMs for full control, running Docker containers, encrypted disks, VPNs, etc. You can run a private Git server. They provide native SSD storage, 200 gigabit network, and Intel E5 processors. They have 24-7 friendly support, even on holidays, and a seven-day money-back guaranteed. So go check them out at linode.com slash rubyrogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Ben Orenstein. Ben, do you want to say hello? Hello. It's good yeah. to be here. Yeah, it's, it, it's always fun to talk and just see what's going on. I think last time we talked was about... Um, Refactoring Rails, if I remember right. That sounds right, yeah. Yeah, I'll get an episode number here for us. It's uh, episode 336. So, yeah, in fact, we just recorded episode 350, so it's exciting, Ruby Rogues. Um, you were along. You were also on in 2013, uh, talking about sharpening tools. So mm-hmm. These sound like my themes, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it sounds like you 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 mentioned uh, before the call that you just got a job refactoring a mature Rails app. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's fair to say. Yeah, I uh, I just started a new gig, and there are plenty of refactoring opportunities. I will say. Awesome. And then you and Derek Reimer were also doing the art of product, and I listened to a few mm-hmm. of those, which was also fun. Is that yeah, still thanks. ongoing or still ongoing? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So anything else that you're up to these days that you want to mention before we jump in and start talking about uh, your background? Well, those are the big ones, I think. Um, although I, I recently just wrapped up a, a cohort of uh, a thing called, I called the Code Quality Challenge, which uh-huh. uh, was is a uh, month-long, um, kind of like a fitness challenge, but for developers. So the idea was every day, uh, every Monday through Friday, I would send out a short task for everyone to complete and it was a language agnostic thing. It would be something like search your repository for to-do comments and delete them. Maybe turn some of them into issues or wherever you track your work to be done. Uh, gotcha. uh, that sort of thing. Or uh, turn your Wi-Fi off and run your test suite and see what happens. That sort of thing. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, yeah. And so uh, I, I, uh, I just wrapped one of those up. That went really well, actually. Uh, had about a thousand people in the most recent cohort. It, it's nice to be done. It's, it takes a lot of work to do that, as you might imagine, Monday through Friday kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but people seem to get a lot of value out of it, so I'm happy I did it. Awesome. So I may be running future cohorts of that, and there's a landing page at codequalitychallenge.com if you want to hear about future uh, versions of that. I should do that. I've been working on my own little... Uh, it, I think it'll eventually turn into a SaaS, but yeah. I've been working on my own little thing, so that's been fun. Um, cool. Cool. Well, let's let's jump way back in the time machine to when Ben first started coding. How did you get into code? Code in general? Um... Hmm. The first code I ever saw was Gorilla.bas, which is a QBasic program back on maybe DOS or something or Windows 3.1 way back in the day. Uh, Some people seem to have run into that. It was like a game on, I think, DOS provided by Microsoft, and you could actually see the source code. And so I I would go in there and edit numbers and see things change, and that was the first time I'd ever seen that before. Oh, nice. Um, 
Yeah, but the, the real, the, my actual programming started um, my senior year of high school. I took a class at the local university that was, they called it Computing One, and it was uh, basically learning to program C. And there was a great professor, Jim Canning, and he, um, he taught us C. We, I learned about memory and pointers and strings and, and all this stuff, and it was a, it was a great time. I, I, I had a hunch I was going to really like programming once I started, and uh, it was totally confirmed. Like I loved every moment of that class. That just sounds like fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. I did a little bit of programming in high school, but most of my experience was in college, and I didn't really take it seriously until I got out into the professional mm-hmm. field. But yeah, so um, were you actually in a programming class with college students, or? I, yeah, I was. This this will sound fancier than it was, but I was doing this program called dual enrollment. So basically, I had roughly enough high school credits already uh, assembled by the end of my junior year to graduate. Uh-huh. And so, rather than than just load up uh, on AP courses uh, and to get you know to hopefully turn them into college credit, my guidance counselor was like, you know, you can just go take college courses at one of the local universities, and it's I think it was free or something. Um, and I said that sounds good. Thinking if I do this, I will need a car to get there. And I bet my dad will buy me a car. And uh, it turns out that was true. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Very cool. So h- how do you go from taking this college class as a high school student up to programming Ruby? Um, hmm, how did that happen? It was, a, it was a long and winding road. So I studied computer science. So I went on from this class after I graduated high school. I went and enrolled in a computer science program and promptly started failing a bunch of classes because I was uh, super immature, <laughs> despite the taking college classes early. I was not good at all at like taking on anything that I didn't want to take on. So uh-huh. bigger projects, I would get overwhelmed really easily. Um, and I would do things like I would complete 80% of this. I would procrastinate on an assignment, so I'd only have time to do like 80% of it. And then I would be ashamed that I'd only done 80% of it, and I would turn in nothing and get a zero, <laughs> which is not recommended. I don't think that's a good strategy. Uh, and so I sort of bumbled my way through something like three and a half years of a computer science program, kind of constantly screwing up classes and just not really on my game at all. Uh, and so eventually uh, my GPA dropped low enough and it triggered this like one semester suspension. Uh, and so I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I should probably go think about my life. And so I went and, and started off as like a bartender at the Olive Garden. That was my first job after school. Nice. Uh, and yeah. And so that was pretty much my low point. Um, but then I managed to land like an IT consulting gig and then I turned that into a um, my first programming gig, which was kind of a horrible gig, but at least was programming as opposed to making cocktails. Um, it was, but it was, so it was long and winding. Uh, it took me uh, basically three or four jobs before I finally had a Ruby job. But I got a job at uh, the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, which uh, is a cancer Institute, uh-huh. <laughs> a cancer hospital slash research center in Boston. Right. Uh, and they had been looking for a senior Ruby person and couldn't find one. So they changed their ad to look for a junior person. And someone forwarded to a friend of mine who forwarded it to me. And I was like, ah, yeah, you know what? I've been playing with Ruby on the side. And uh, I think I might be a good fit for this. But I had, I had kind of an interesting, so my, I had an interesting ex- exposure to Ruby early on. So I took this class where I was writing C. Uh-huh. And this was probably 2001, I think it was, 2000, 2001. And I've been writing C all semester. And I think it was right around then, maybe the, a year later, I got the uh, Pickaxe book mm-hmm. because I had read Pragmatic Programmer. And they talked about Ruby, saying they thought Ruby was a nice language. And so I bought a Ruby book. I think it was Pickaxe. Um, 
and was completely blown away because I had been in C, like thinking about pointers and allocating memory manually and <laughs> keeping track of loop indexes uh, and was just like, I remember the first time I saw an each block, I was like, where is the index? Like, where is I equals zero and you do it until I is less than this? Like, I, mm -hmm. I, I basically could not understand blocks and how Ruby did it for a while because I was so steeped in this C tradition of lower level stuff. Right. That's really funny. So... So you, you came across Ruby because of uh, Pragmatic Programmers? I did, yeah. That That's really interesting. I don't think I've heard that before in any of these interviews. You know, most hmm. people it's, oh, I had a friend introduce me or, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, I was trying I, I, out I, languages and found it on a list. Yeah, I read, I think the book was called The Pragmatic Programmer. Yeah. Uh, like their, their main one. And uh, I thought it was incredible. I loved that book. Uh, and they recommended Ruby somewhere in there or mentioned it. And I was like, I, well, these guys are awesome. I have to look into this. So... I got exposed to it really early, like way, like before Rails, before I think almost anyone had heard of Ruby. I was at uh -huh. least kind of like reading about it and thinking about it. And then Rails happened. And so uh, when I was at this, that first programming job, uh, I was kind of miserable there. It was a bad environment. And I was like, I'd rather be doing something new and, and hot. And it was like, oh, Rails is a thing. And so you can do Ruby for real and get paid for it. And so I started teaching myself Rails and with, with another pragmatic programmer book, the uh, Agile Web Development with Rails. And that was how I finally got my way in. Nice. Mm -hmm. So you've been in the Ruby community for a while. Um, I'm curious, what, what kinds of things have you done with Ruby that you're particularly proud of? <laughs> uh, put food on the table. Uh, <laughs> I can't go wrong uh, there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if I've written any like particularly impressive Ruby. It's been mostly uh, Rails apps. Mm -hmm. um, I'm pretty proud of the, of the Ruby I have written, though, uh, from a quality standpoint, I guess more than a complexity standpoint. Right. Um, I, I spent a, six years at ThoughtBot, um, so I learned a lot of that first Dana-Farber job. Um, I, I came out of that feeling pretty good about my skills, but then hit ThoughtBot and ran into like a bunch of programmers that were just way at another level, uh, and I spent years kind of learning from them. Uh, so I guess the thing I'm proudest of is that I, I think I can pretty con write con pretty consistently good Ruby and non-complex solutions of things. Yeah, that makes sense. Are, are there some contributions that you're known for in the Ruby community? I mean, I've, we've kind of talked at a conceptual level about things, and I'm not sure if you've written gems or made videos or things that I'm just not aware of. Yeah, so um, I guess the I, I would say the biggest thing I've done that the Ruby community is probably aware of is um, is related to education. So. I love programming and I also love teaching programming. I really enjoy teaching complicated topics because uh -huh. I find it's a, it's a fun challenge to break down something hard and make it understandable to right. me. Um, and so after a few years at ThoughtBot, um, I started, I pitched our CEO, Chad, and effectively created a company inside the company, uh, which went on to become Upcase, um, which is a basically an online training pro platform for intermediate to advanced Rails developers. And so I made a ton of content for that. Um, and lots of courses and lots of conference talks uh, related to similar things. I have like a refactoring talk that's uh, been pretty perennially popular. So it's, I'd say the things that I have done that have had the biggest impact have been when I've tried to take what I've learned and synthesize it into something coherent and uh, teach it. That makes sense. You were also the host of the Giant Robots podcast for a while, weren't you? That's true, yeah. I did uh, hundreds of episodes. I'm, I'm not even sure, 300 or something like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, that was that was awesome. That was one of those things that I never, I didn't think I was gonna do for very long, and just kind of kept being awesome and exposed me just to great people, and it was uh, and built a really nice audience with. Yeah, definitely. I I remember listening to that show and just learning a ton. 
that's awesome. That's great to hear. Well, what what are you working on now? Well, uh, so I just took a job. Um, so I had been I made a few courses. I took some time. I left Thoughtbot. Took some time for myself. Spent about ten months. Uh, put it, made the code quality challenge. I made a screencast, also called uh, or a, a course called Refactoring Rails, which t- attempted to summarize some of my uh, Rails knowledge into a, a coherent course. Uh-huh. Uh, and now I have a job. I, I decided that you know the working for myself was kind of fun from a business standpoint, but not good for me socially. And so I wanted to work with a team with some people. Uh, so I took a job recently at a company called Mackie, uh, where I'm going to be writing Ruby, but also some Haskell, which I'm really excited about. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So they have sort of a, they have like a Rails app. Their, their code base is kind of, I'd say maybe half Ruby, or sorry, let's say a third Ruby, a third Angular, and then a third Haskell. And they're interested in, in upping the Haskell percentage. And so uh, I'm going to help with that effort. That's really interesting. I haven't really heard anybody doing anything practical. Is that the word I'm looking for with Haskell? So I'm really curious to just see, you know, how that fits in and where it can be used. Totally. Yeah, it's it's a less common language for sure. I think uh-huh. it's got a lot of promise. It doesn't see nearly as much real world use as other languages right. like Ruby, for example. But I think that is maybe like it remains to be seen. I haven't used it much in anger yet. So we'll see if there's a good reason for that or if it's one of those kind of accidents of popularity and uh, religion. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's definitely an interesting language to dive into. So, you know, I'm not trying to knock it or anything. I just don't see people using it in production. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that intuition is correct that it, it's, it's less used, but uh, we'll see. It might, that might be, it might be because that it has, you know, serious shortcomings, but it also might just be because sometimes languages are, are kind of like popularity contests. Like a lot of people write JavaScript, but I don't think JavaScript is a great language. I think it just became popular anyway because it was distributed widely and it was sort of immediately accessible and various other cultural reasons. Um, so we'll see. I'm curious myself, actually. Yeah, that's fair. Awesome. And then, yeah, we mentioned the the podcast and you brought up your course. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah. Anything I, else? I have one to... of the... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I got one other thing in the works. Uh, so years back, I recorded a screencast uh, for Peep Code. Uh, and it was a play-by-play, which is where it's sort of like a live screencast of my screen. So Jeffrey right. Grossbach gave me a challenge. It was, okay, here's some code. Refactor this code. And I t- talked through it and refactored it on the fly on like while being recorded for about 90 minutes or something or 75 minutes. Uh-huh. And they turned into a video. After about, I don't know, eight months of that being out, uh, Pluralsight bought peep code. Yep. And Pluralsight had a contract for the authors that... I couldn't sign at the time because I was working on Upcase. So I was basically working on a comp- competitor to Pluralsight. And so uh-huh. all their terms just like wouldn't work for me. And so I, I couldn't sign that and they wouldn't put the screencast out in their catalog without me signing it. And so it just sat in limbo. Um, and it was too bad because it was really, I think, a really good screencast and people really liked it. And it was it was a bummer, but we couldn't really come to terms. Right. So fast forward years and um, I reached out to their head of content and with a lot of persistent poking and prodding, eventually got them to license me the screencast back. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, I mean, I was kind of shocked that it happened because like they have basically no incentive to do this. Uh, so I just, just to the goodness of their hearts, they agreed uh-huh. and, and wrote me a license. And so now I'm finally going to be able to distribute the screencast. So I don't have anything set up like a sales page or any of that. But um, if people are interested in that, like you could jump on my newsletter. That's probably the easiest way to do it. If you went to benorenstein.com slash newsletter, uh, I will definitely be publishing it there. Uh, but I'm really excited to get this thing back out in the world after all these years. 
That's awesome. Yeah, Pluralsight's a local company, and you know we have an affiliate relationship with them. But um, yeah, that was an interesting time when uh, Jeffrey, yeah, basically sold Peepcode to him, and all that content kind of went over there. And interestingly enough, I have friends that have done play-by-plays since it's been sold, you know, and so that's always fun to watch because I'm like, I remember when these were Jeffrey and somebody's, you know, sitting side by side writing code. So. Yep. Yeah. I think it's a good format. I, I actually am surprised that there's not more of it where it's just like, you know, you get a programmer that has, you get a programmer and give them a problem and then have kind of a color commentator asking uh-huh. questions and and prying into like things that they notice. I think it's a really good format. You learn so much when you watch someone work versus when you just like, like if I were teaching a course uh, versus like letting you see how I actually do things, I think that's just like so much more illuminating. And that's like, that's how I, like, I built refactoring rails, that course I mentioned yeah. earlier. It's all live coding. So I say like, okay, I want to teach you about page objects. So I start off with a rails app that has a certain problem that is solved well with the page object and I refactor it in the screencast on the fly. I think that's just like, you just learn so much by actually watching process uh, as opposed to like looking at final results. You need to pull a couple of DHH whoops in there, right? <laughs> sure. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I make a lot, I, I make some oopses that are uh, more authentic than that. Yeah. But some of those get edited out. Yeah. I, I, I like the format too. Um, we did a couple of those with, you know, some of the rogues way back in the day. We were working on this mm-hmm. or that and, yeah, those yeah. were always re- well received. I don't know why we didn't pursue that, but now Life now is, I'm thinking about it. Anyway, <laughs> life is short, man. It's hard. It's hard to pursue everything. You can't pursue yeah, it's everything. So it's true. So true. Such a bummer. Yeah, I want to do all the things. Great. Well, um, let's go ahead and do some picks. Do you have some things that you want to shout out about? For you, the listeners of Ruby Rogues, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save ten percent on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code Bridge Ten for ten percent savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, uh, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Sure, I will shout. Uh, I have at least one thing that I'll shout out about. I'm reading a book right now that I really like that people uh, should think about, which is, um, I'll shout out two books. One is t- called Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Uh, it's by Neil deGrasse Tyson, and oh, it's nice. short, uh, and it's little, um, and it's approachable. Uh, and it's it's just fun to have him kind of walk you through the cosmos and explain interesting things. It's just kind of like a, a fun tour through uh, reality with a really smart physicist person. Yeah. It sounds, so that's one. That sounds really, really fascinating. And he's just a smart guy. I mean, I don't always agree with everything he says, but when it comes to that kind of stuff, he's 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 really got it together, and he explains it really clearly. Oh yeah, it's it's the writing is is pretty strong. It's 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 a nice um, approachable layperson's guide to it. Yeah. And then I have uh, one other book pick that I'll throw out that I'm, that I'm reading and enjoying, and this is, book is called "An Outsider's Guide to Statically Typed Functional Programming" by Brian Merrick. 
Um, and this is a book, he says, this book is about using statically typed functional programming in messy domains, uh, which I like. And so he, his, his perspective is, I am not a functional programming zealot. I'm not a Haskell person. I'm not an Elm person. I'm not a, any of these things. I'm just curious about it. And so I'm going to dive deep on these things and summarize my research and tell it to you. And maybe all this rigmarole uh, and, and all these fancy features are worth it. And maybe they're not. I actually don't know yet. Uh, but here I'm, I'm writing a book and it's in progress and you can read it as I go. That's awesome. I think a lot of times too, we, we kind of, yeah, we get people who are just all in on the technology and mm -hmm. so we kind of get that zealotry out of the books. So it's nice to watch the sausage be made kind of like the play by plays. Totally. And he really sold me in his book description because he says, I'm doing all this research and trying to dive deep on statically typed functional programming languages, but I actually don't know at the end of the day, if I think they're worth it. And so I may end up getting 80% of the way through this book and deciding like, yeah, these techniques are actually more trouble than they're worth. And I don't know what's going to happen if that's true. Uh, it'll be kind of an interesting situation. <laughs> and I was just like, that's so charming. I have to buy this book. Yeah. Like that sort of honesty and straightforwardness I was, I was really into. So his, his perspective is, is very measured. Um, you get some people in the functional programming world that are just like, just so crazy about it. And he sort of has this, comes in for, like he calls himself an outsider. He has like a, a bit of a skeptic's view, which I, I really appreciate. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. Um, so yeah, so a few things that I've been playing with. Um, one of them is, um, I need to find the link for it, but, uh, so there's a video series out there and this is a JavaScript, uh, uh, JavaScript link, but it's, it's still, um, interesting. It's uh, build a blockchain in JavaScript or creating a blockchain hmm. with JavaScript. Um, mm -hmm. I've just been really interested in, in the technology behind some of these cryptocurrencies, which is really funny because I haven't invested in any of them. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, but That's I think good. you should. <laughs> yeah, you and DHH agree on that. Um, but anyway, I, I think it's really interesting technology and just the idea of, you know, creating kind of this virtual ledger out there. Um, you know, as part of a blockchain is, is fascinating, you know, and, and mm -hmm. cryptography and everything else that goes into it. So, um, so anyway, I've decided that I've, I want to try and build a blockchain in Ruby. And so that's hmm. what I'm kind of going to be noodling over for the next few months. Um, incidentally, cool. that's also what my talk is about at Ruby hack. Um, of course I proposed the talk and then they accepted and I'm like, I have no idea what to do next. <laughs> so hmm. I've been there. Yep. So anyway, it, it, I'm sure it, it'll come together because, uh, you know, blockchain in and of itself is not that complicated of technology. It, it's really just finding an implementation that'll work for it. So um, anyway, we'll see mm -hmm. how that goes. But uh, yeah, it should be really, really cool and fun to dive into. Um, and I found that just the ideas of, okay, here's how you actually build one, even though it's not a Ruby example, is, is fascinating to me. So hmm. awesome. So we'll, we'll dig into that. And then um, I'm also just going to go ahead and throw out another pick. Um, and this is something that I've, I've only played with a little bit, but is looking pretty promising. And that's Stimulus, which is the JavaScript framework that uh, uh, Basecamp put out. And so it's, hmm. the, it's kind of a simplistic uh, toolkit, more than a framework almost, that just kind of does the basic stuff that you need in JavaScript. And so you don't get the, the fully baked Angular-ish front-end framework stuff that you're pulling together there. So hmm. that, that's really great, too. And then my last pick 
is uh, Dave Thomas's Elixir course. If you're looking to get into functional programming, um, mm. it is pretty awesome. And uh, it's what I've been going through as I've been getting ready to put together an Elixir podcast. So um, nice. Yeah. There's the know. pragmatic programmer is getting people into a new language again. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And if you talk to Dave, he's totally bullish on Elixir. So anyway, awesome. lots of interesting stuff going on out there in tech these days. Um, felt like uh, AI and machine learning was kind of the big deal last year. And blockchain is really kind of taking the world by storm this year. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see where we wind up with, with all this stuff. Um, mm -hmm. So one last thing, if people want to follow what you're working on now, if they want to see what you've got going on, where do they go? What do they look at? Twitter's pretty good. Um, I'm R00K on Twitter because I was obsessed with chess as a kid and picked that name like 15 years ago. Um, also, my personal newsletter is pretty good. BenOrnstein.com slash newsletter. We'll get you there as well. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. All right. We will catch you all next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.